From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and joining me this week is Paul Krawczak, a senior budget writer at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Paul. David, thanks for inviting me. Glad you could be here. Congress is in recess, but they've got a lot of unfinished business on their plate to tackle once they get back. And so we wanted to highlight this week what to expect. They're going to have a jam-packed workload with not a lot of time to get some big things done. And so we want to take a minute during the recess to assess where they are on these and, and what can really happen. And Paul, the most interesting thing to me, I think the biggest wild card in in their whole agenda is Build Back Better, this big package that stalled last year uh, to expand the social safety net and tackle climate change. It fell apart. And yet there's Democrats are still saying they hope to revive it. They're talking again quietly. They won't say much about it, but there's some hope among some Democrats at least to bring back some kind of scaled back version of Build Back Better. Can this really happen? It's hard to see it happening. I mean, it, it certainly it, it's possible that they could um, agree on a very scaled down package, but you have a number of factors arguing against this. So you have rising inflation, you have increasing expectation of a recession, uh, you have Senator Manchin, Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema were the two Democrats in the Senate who, who were not supporting this package, and with Senator Manchin is increasingly concerned about inflation, even more so than before, and about the the deficit. And Senator Sinema remains opposed to any tax increase that would hurt economic growth, and she's also opposed to a corporate tax increase. And you know, even the White House, Ron Klain, uh, the chief of staff to President Biden, said, yes, we would like to get Build Back Better passed. But he certainly did not express a lot of hope or expectation that that could happen. I saw that he made no promises on that, but he did say it's in the mix. It's it, he, he, it's something they want to do. He said, but he also noted that they have face a dwindling, uh, shrinking calendar of uh, for for time. Certainly made no promise that this thing is going to happen. So he handled it very gingerly. Uh, and yet, you know, we still hear talk that they want to do it. And Manchin, who's sort of the linchpin to this whole deal in the evenly divided Senate, they need every Democratic vote, is talking to some extent about a scaled back package that would sort of reverse the Trump tax cuts to raise a lot of money and use a lot of that not for new spending, but for deficit reduction, sort of a shift in focus here to appease him that would get the fiscal house in order and actually help try to tame inflation and use some of the money for climate change and maybe some prescription drug cost savings. So sort of a very bare bones package that's been totally reshaped. And even that would have a major hurdle, as you point out, right? Because of Kirsten Cinema, who doesn't want to see tax rates go up. So there's no sign there of any coming together so it's not clear what can happen, but there's, I guess they're still going to try. Well, they, they say that they're 
that they're working on it. Um, they, they, they admit that they, they don't have agreement. They don't have a path forward yet. Right. Uh, it's an election year. Uh, they're running out of time. Uh, they have other priorities. Uh, I, we can't we can't rule it out, but it, it's very hard to imagine. And remember, this is a this would be done through the reconciliation process, which only requires uh, a, a simple majority, uh, fifty one votes in the Senate. So reconciliation is is a time consuming process, even even after you uh, reach an agreement. Which is why I bring it up now, Paul, because if it's going to happen, it seems to me. It has to happen soon after they come back in late April. They've got they've got sort of the last week of April. They've got May, June. I mean, if we don't see it by July 4th, it's not going to happen, right? I mean, because time is going to get away from them. They're in recess in August. And then you've got the fall re-election campaigns. And there's too much political focus to do anything like this. So if it's going to happen, it has to happen in the next several weeks, I would say, probably with a deal coming together in May to make anything happen. So they've only got now to make a last attempt at it. And so I think we're going to know over the next month whether it's possible or not. You think that's a fair? Yes, I think that's fair. And at this point, there there is no sign that they are moving closer to an agreement on this. Right. So in, in any case, they've also got some more immediate needs as soon as they get back from recess. And top among them probably is pandemic aid. You know, the White House had requested $22.5 billion of new money, saying they are running out of cash for vaccines, for testing, for therapeutics, as they prepare for any possible new surge in cases or a potential for a new variant of the virus. And Republicans have been very hesitant to approve new money, saying there was so much unspent money they could tap still from previous pandemic relief laws that should be diverted to healthcare needs, and they don't want to spend new money. They were determined that every dollar of of new money be offset with savings. They thought they had a deal just before the recess, and it collapsed in this bitter fight over immigration policy rearing its head again because Just as they had a deal on this, Paul, the White House announces it's going to lift this so-called Title 42 policy that had prevented migrants from crossing the border on public health grounds. The administration's saying there's no longer a public health rationale for that, and so they should lift it. And Republicans immediately objected, and even some Democrats uh, objected, saying it's going to cause a surge of migrants at the border and, and, and be unworkable. And it just sank the whole pandemic aid package because Republicans were pushing for an amendment to that package to keep this immigration policy in place. It's a big mess. When they get back from recess, they're still going to want pandemic aid and Republicans are still going to want to preserve this immigration prohibition. Uh, How do they get out of this is the big question. Unclear how they get out of it, but I mean, certainly the the COVID aid bill is, is a high priority for a lot of Republicans as well as Democrats, a uh, very high priority. And yet uh, I, don't, I don't see Republicans in, in the Senate voting for this COVID package without an agreement on Title 42, uh, preserving Title 42 to avoid uh, an increase 
and on undocumented uh, migrants coming across the border. So unclear how they reach an agreement on this, but I, I think they will have to, in some form, keep Title 42 if they want to pass this this COVID package, because, I mean, there are even Democrats who are insisting on keeping Title 42. So that's a messy political problem they're going to have to deal with almost as soon as they get back, because you're right. I mean, Republicans are insisting on an amendment to keep Title 42, and the problem Democrats have is that amendment might actually pass because some of their own Democratic members, particularly those who live on the border states, want to keep it in place for at least for now. And so then what do they do? Because they they would be directly opposing the White House policy. And so how do they deal with that? I mean, unless they've got to reach some kind of compromise on immigration with the White House, it, it seems like, to let any sort of pandemic relief move forward at this point. But boy, it's hard, it's hard to see what how they get out of that one. Well, and they, they have a little bit of time. Uh, they don't need the COVID aid right now. So they have a little bit of time. And I mean, well, this not is, a lot of time, right? I mean, I think by, I think in May, some of this funding runs out. Well, this is another reason I think that, th- that there's very little chance that the, that the Build Back Better uh, goes anywhere because this is a much higher priority. And this is going to, uh, this is going to take some time and some hard negotiating. Major problem. And then speaking of pandemic relief, Paul, there's another pandemic package moving along a separate track, which is designed to help the battered restaurant industry, along with some other industries hit by the shutdowns. But that's also sort of up for grabs and very unclear where that's headed and whether they can get enough support in the Senate to push it through. There's a House version of this of this restaurant bill. There's a, a separate competing Senate version of that bill. They're a little different in how they in how they help pay for things. They're different in which industries they help aside from restaurants. There's going to have to be some tough negotiating on that to get anything through. I mean, what's your best guess on where that's headed? Well, so my understanding is that that some of some of that funding um, would be paid for but a lot of it would not necessarily be paid for. Is that your understanding? Yeah. And they pay for it in different ways. Um, I think the House bill was saying they're going to crack down on on fraud in fraudulent payments. They can recover those payments to help pay for this bill. The Senate was very skeptical of that plan. The leading sponsor in the Senate, Ben Cardin, the Democrat of Maryland, who heads the Small Business Committee, said pretty openly that um, he's just sort of skeptical that that money would materialize. It's, it's always easy to come out against fraud, but but can you actually recover what you hope to recover? Um, he just didn't think there was much there there. Um, his own plan would raise money, I think, by tapping the old Paycheck Protection Program that's the program that offered forgivable loans to small businesses who kept their employees on the payroll. But it only raised, I believe, about $5 billion. And this was like a $48 billion package. So it's not much of an offset. Uh, I mean, it sounded to me as though most of the bill is not paid for, right? And then so then you have the dilemma with Republicans. Um, 
here they are on the main pandemic healthcare package, insisting that every dollar be offset. And then we have this restaurant bill that looks like it's mostly unpaid for. It would be all new money, more borrowing. Would there be enough Republican support in the Senate to push that through? Yeah, I mean, I think based on what you said, there's a good case to be made that that this does not pass, particularly because it's it's only partially offset. You, you have the negotiation over the COVID bill um, and immigration, and that bill is fully offset. And, and some of the offsets, which could have been in the restaurant package, are in the COVID package. So, yeah, I, th- I, think, I, I think the restaurant bill really faces an uphill climb. But we should say, Paul, I mean, there's, there's large bipartisan support for helping the restaurant industry. The House bill had broad bipartisan support, and, there's, and there is broad bipartisan support in the Senate among, uh, to, to help the restaurant industry. At least in principle, there's been strong backing of previous restaurant bills in the Senate that haven't gone anywhere, but, but they've, they've had a lot of Republican co-sponsors on them. So there is some bipartisan incentive to get that done. We're going to have to see, though, if if they really can make it happen. I mean, they need 10 Republican votes in the Senate if all Democrats are united behind the bill. You know, most Republicans could still vote no. The question is, can they get 10? So it's still conceivable to me that it can happen. But it was also interesting, Paul, that even the White House is not gung-ho for that restaurant package. They're not coming out saying we need it. They're questioning whether we need it. An administration official had told us recently that, you know, we'll see if we need it kind of a response. They weren't ruling it out, but they weren't endorsing it. So that also is a sign that this thing could be in for some choppy waters. That is a really important point about the White House. And also remember this bill, this is five times the uh, the cost of the COVID bill. And the COVID bill is fully offset. Right. So it it could be a heavy lift. We're going to have to see. But that's on their unfinished agenda as well, which also includes, Paul, something we shouldn't neglect to mention because they're going to hit this uh, from the get-go when they get back in late April also, uh, because there's actually high hopes for this one, which is a major bill to shore up U.S. research and technology, particularly to boost, this bill has gone by a million names, the CHIPS bill, the China bill, the competition bill, but it would basically bolster U.S. semiconductor manufacturing. Everybody knows about the big chip shortage that caused a shortage of cars and, and a million other things that rely on these semiconductors. This bill has some real money in it to help with that. There's $54 billion of new appropriations in this bill, most of which is for the microchips. But there's but there's a House version and a Senate version again, and there's vast differences in policy that have to be ironed out. They say they're going to be negotiating hard and to get an agreement on this. Again, they don't have a lot of time, but that one I would think has a strong chance of passage because there really is pretty strong bipartisan support for that. Is that what you're picking up? Yeah, I would think so. Um, the, the, so the, the House and Senate Conference Committee will have to resolve differences. Um, the House version got, I think, just one Republican vote in the House. Uh, Republicans were opposed to certain aspects of it, um, including uh, particularly global warming, climate-related provisions uh, Republicans in the House opposed to and re- 
House Republicans also complained that uh, they did not have enough input into this bill. Um, the Senate bill um, does not include some of these provisions. So, uh, yeah, I would expect that a, a compromise version is 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 worked out that that would get uh, more Republican support in the House, um, and that this this would pass. Uh, there's certainly wide support for uh, shoring up our competitive position uh, in regards to China in particular. Okay. So we'll be watching that one because I would put that on our going to pass list. Uh, so it's, it's, it's worth bearing attention. Uh, and it could happen pretty quickly because they seem determined to get these negotiations going as soon as they get back, uh, I think was was what uh, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, had said. So we'll be following that one. And I think last before we go, Paul, uh, let's talk about the state of appropriations to fund the government for the coming fiscal year. What are the prospects in this election year of that of, of, of those spending bills getting done? Biden put out his budget request last month. And there was some immediate talk among top appropriators. Oh, we're going to quickly meet. We're going to iron out, uh, get a bipartisan deal on overall spending limits so we can get these bills going. And of course, they broke for recess and they never met, which seems par for the course. They say they're going to meet soon after the recess. We'll see. But here we are again. We've got an election year and we've got they're starting from no bipartisan agreement on how much to spend overall for defense and non-defense programs. That's what had held up talks for months and months last year and made made last year's bill almost half a year late, just finished last month, in fact. So what are the prospects, Paul? What do you how do you see this playing out? Can these bills get done this year? Well, if you look at recent history, um it's it's harder to pass these appropriations bills on time in an election year, and we are in an election year, of course. It's hard to pass them on time in any year for decades, actually. But <laughs> that, yeah, that's right. But especially hard during an election year, and the and so typically what what we've seen in recent years in election years is that sometimes a bill or two gets passed on time, but. The, but most of the bills don't get passed until after the election. And in a number of cases, they don't get passed until the following year. So you have that working against passing the appropriations bills. In addition, you know, as you mentioned, they did not pass the, the appropriations uh, omnibus until uh, just last month um, in March. Which is half a year late, we should point right. out. The, the, the fiscal year began last October, so... Right. And, and one of the I mean, one of the reasons for that delay was that, I mean, President Biden in his budget proposed, you know, a very small increase for defense and, and a huge increase for non-defense. And it took a long time for Republicans and Democrats to agree on basically equal increases for defense and non-defense. So and, they're facing, Biden, and they're facing the same problem this year, Paul, basically. Right. right because President Biden introduced again, you know, a slightly larger increase for defense, but then a much bigger increase for non-defense. So the, uh, so the, the first challenge is to reach agreement on, you know, the defense and the non-defense uh, top lines. And that took a lot, lot, long time last year, which was not an election year. 
And so that's going to be a big challenge. And you also have to ask yourself, uh, is, is it in the interest of Republicans who are anticipating capturing the House in the election, and they might capture the Senate as well, is it in their interest to negotiate, you know, any kind of agreement before the election? They'll have more leverage after the election and then even more leverage next year. So they do not necessarily have the incentive to move on anything uh, very fast. That's a good point, Paul, because, yeah, if I were a Republican and I'm, I'm saying I'm going to be in the majority next year if things go my way with the midterm elections why not just pass a stopgap measure for now this fall and and stall things and then when republicans are in the majority come january we can negotiate a much stronger uh, spending package that we like with much more for defense at that point right i mean why rush to get it done this year politically that i would think that's a compelling argument for republicans i mean there's there's some there's some desire I guess to get it done at least in this calendar year just to just to start the new Congress with a clean slate so you don't have a, you know all this hanging over your head I guess you could argue and we do have the Senate Appropriations Committee is is headed by two leaders the Democrat Patrick Leahy the Republican Richard Shelby both of whom are retiring this year. I think both of them, despite party differences, would like to see their bills finished this year before they step down. So there's that. But, you know, that's only two senators out of 100, right? I mean, it seems to me that politics tends to override a lot of that. And there, there's not going to be a hell of a lot of incentive to get it done quickly. I don't know. I guess put me down in the skeptical column for... Uh, seeing it this year, maybe by December, you know, maybe after things settle down after the election, if they can scrape together a compromise just to get it done, maybe December would be the earliest, Paul, for, for an omnibus deal? I, I would think so. I would think so. I would not totally rule out passing one or two bills before the end of the fiscal year. I wouldn't totally rule it out, but um, I, don't, I don't think it's likely necessarily. But but certainly in terms of passing all the bills, I would, I would think December at the earliest. So that's sort of where we are, folks. Congress comes back uh, the last week of April. Pretty jam-packed agenda, not a lot of time. But we will see how all these things play out in coming weeks. That does it for us today. Thank you, Paul, for being here. I appreciate it. And thank you, David. And thank you all for listening. We're going to be on hiatus next week, but you can catch us when Congress returns at the end of April, and we will see you then. 